everybody. I'm Aaron Martell. I'm Shannon Fleming. And I'm Ray Zimmer. And welcome to the R4 Summit, a podcast where we discuss and analyze a musical album of our choice. On this episode, we have two returning guest co-pilots with us. First up is James Seamus Dillard. Seamus, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, my people. Oh, yeah. Back in the fold. Also in the house is Rockin' Mike Cordis. Rockin' Mike, it's been too long. What, two weeks ago? Uh, yeah, about that. Two weeks ago, right? I barely recognized you. You're just totally different, man. I've let, it, I've let my hair grow. Welcome, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So for this episode, we're going to have a roundtable discussion on Bullet Boys, 1988 self-titled debut album. Seamus, let's start with you. Where do you come in with Bullet Boys in the first album in particular? Well, I think I first heard the Bullet Boys way back in the day. Um, I must have read about them uh, on Hit Parade or Circus or whatever the music mag at the time was because I knew of them. I knew of their connection with King Cobra. I'd heard the comparisons with Van Halen. But to be honest with you, I'd only ever heard the two singles. And and I didn't even really hear them more than saw them. I probably saw them on... uh, on MTV on head you know Headbangers Ball or something and you know it's 31 years ago so I'm getting old but I remember I was like yeah okay I get I get what they're doing yeah smooth up in you gotcha <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right Mike how about you uh, first single smooth up in you saw the video I actually caught them I saw them on tour for this record uh, at Springfield Civic Center they opened for Winger and Cinderella. All right. Winger was on That's tour. That's when for the- I saw them. I could not place the concert. It was Winger and Cinderella in Portland, Maine. Yes. Oh, okay. Saw- it, that happens a lot. We do a lot of it's like the same tours, yeah. but Portland. <laughs> but it was bugging the crap out of me because I'm sitting here and I'm going, I've seen these guys and I cannot remember with whom. And I kept going like, was it Firehouse? No, Firehouse was with White Snake. No, was it this? Was it that? It was Cinderella. Yeah. <laughs> it was, and it was Jeez. a good show, um, except for Winger. And the Bullet Boys <laughs> blew them off the stage, and I promptly went out and bought this. Were they, they on were first? Really they good. went on yeah, first. They went on they? first. Yeah. They were yes, great. they were All right. first, nice. and they were good. Shannon, how about you? Well, I, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm kind of the same route. I want to say, actually, Aaron, I think it was you, but I do remember seeing Smooth Up In Ya on Headbangers Ball with my friend Kim, and we were like, whoa, this is, there's David Lee Roth. Not <laughs> able to do split or a backflip and <laughs> this guy looks just like him and you know and then come to find out it's like well this is like ted templeman's new baby trying to probably go up against you know with what became a van hillman after the split with sammy hagar all that good stuff this 88 so it's still kind of controversial at this point but i really like the song <laughs> but i want to say it was you that actually had the album and i listened to it that way i remember and i did see them live and it was it was cinderella and it was winger and um, they were very good. And I remember I was at Strawberries and they were taking down promotional posters. And I m- was able to actually snag the poster for this album cover, you know, the, the bullet going through the apple. And I had that on my wall. And there's a picture in one of the photo albums my senior year in high school. Nan took it. I'm in my bedroom. It's trashed completely. It's graduation day. And on the wall, you can see all my posters and you can see that one poster. And I'm like looking over my notes because I had a solo, you know, for my for my choir for graduation. I'm looking, you can see me pouring through it. And it's like, well, there's the Bullet Boys up there on the wall. They were looking out for you. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) But that's kind of my history there. All right. Ray. Well, as we've mentioned the infamous Ian on the show quite a few times. And Ian and I were like 
Van Halen fanatics to like the nth degree from like junior high right up until high school. And uh, I was actually surprised when he told me about this band. He was like, yeah, they sound just like Van Halen. And I think the last time we were sitting talking about it, I thought it was like 88 or 89. It was like 89, I think, is where I got it. And I remember I got it right before we played. I, I was a band geek, and I played at um, Gateway did their graduations at Tanglewood for like three or four years straight. And on the way to Tanglewood, I remember like listening to it like, just like nonstop, and uh, I was hooked then. All right. Uh, for me, it starts with the video for Smooth Up In Ya. I thought it was a cool song title. I dug the no-frills, hard rock vibe the band gave off. They were kind of thrown in with the 80s hair metal bands. And as a matter of fact, they were touted in the press as the next Van Halen. They even had the same record label and producer as Van Halen. So just on the basis of that one song, I got the cassette of this album. It must have been what you heard, Shannon. Because that's how I was. I was an album guy, not a singles guy. I wasn't going to buy a single. I still am that way to this day. And Shannon, I think you and I both basically got into these guys at the same time. You know, about right, the same time. That's why I say. Yeah, right when they came out. Kind of, before I go back and forth, it's like I remember seeing the video on Headbangers Ball, but at the same time, I don't think I listened to the whole album yeah. until you like. Because I was living up there with you guys. Yes. In Maine. Exactly. And I remember you going to that show. Why the fuck didn't I go to that show? I don't know. Probably because you were working that night or something like that. That's stupid. I don't get it. Aaron, I went to so (laughs) many concerts, even when, like, you were living. You and I went to quite a few, but, oh, man, I trumped you in those days when it came to shows. Yeah, great. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I will turn this car around right now. A little bit more. (laughs) Cheapers. I was into the Bullet Boys right off the bat, right off the record. Yeah, I mean, I saw Cinderella four times, and I couldn't even remember that it was Bullet Boys that opened up for him. That's how many concerts I used to go to. I mean, it was back-to-back, month-to-month. I'd save up all the money I'd have just to go to the next show. Shut up, Shannon. (laughs) Like 25 bucks, if you remember. Always, you had to have your 25 bucks Ticketmaster done. You got to go to the show. I still have the concert ticket. Cinderella, Bullet Boys, and Winger was $17.50. Whoa. (laughs) Okay. Now I'll give you some basic facts about this record, because Wikipedia always uncovers the facts. Bullet Boys is the self-titled debut album from American rock band Bullet Boys, released on September 20th, 1988 on Warner Brothers Records. It was produced by Ted Templeman and was recorded in 1988 at One on One Studios, North Hollywood, California. It reached number 34 on the U.S. Billboard 200 chart and is certified gold by the RIAA. And here's the band's lineup card. We have Mark Torian on lead vocals. Mick Sweda on guitar and backing vocals, Lonnie Vincent on bass and backing vocals, and Jimmy DeAnda on drums. All right, let's dive into a roundtable track-by-track analysis of this album. We kick off with Hard as a Rock, written by Bullet Boys. Seamus, what do you think? My baby's got rhythm. She never misses a beat. She give me the G-string shivers. She's always in heat. <laughs> oh, on. What is this? A, a fat third grader write this? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> nice groove riff. 
it's kind of accept like when it comes in at first. I kind of caught that. The vocals hit, and oh man, do we go. This is all about the vocals. This whole band revolves around him. It, it's obvious. It's a typical guitar with nice harmonics in the verse, repeating chorus. Uh, moves along to the lead. The lead starts slow with some nice fret work. It builds from the low part of the neck to the high notes. There's nothing amazing for a 1988 gunslinger. Um, I watched the live video because I wanted to get a feel for the song because it is a good opener. And to me, the singer looks skinny fat. You know, the girl that's, <laughs> you, you what's know skinny what fat? The girl that's skinny but still has the tummy blow. <laughs> And she's, or maybe it was the halter top he was wearing. I don't know. But <laughs> I was like, hey, this guy kind of sounds like Crocus. And, you know, but great, good, great opener uh, track. This is a solid C plus for an album opener. All right. Mike. I, I love how it opens. It's a great opener. I said I was thinking the same thing. The sequencing on this, it's not the greatest track, but it's great to be the first song. Um, I always thought that riff, Seamus, you said except, I always thought it reminded me of Lack of Communication by Rat. I can oh, hear a yeah. little bit of, a little bit of yes, that. Rat. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Well, so, like he, he wasn't a part of that, right? So He he was in Rat for a little bit. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was. But there's something about, I, I've always thought of Lack of Communication with that. Uh, and the one thing on this, on, on this song that you hear, it really indicative of the whole album, everything is way up front. You mm-hmm. hear every single note, which I really like, and you can really tell how much Lonnie Vincent drives this whole album, and that'll kind of comes back. One of the things I like, it's the perfect-sounding snare. Um, oh, talked, absolutely. It's like the snare sounds great, great bass line, and then the bass actually builds the tension as it gets closer to the chorus, and then it's got a cool little like four-note flourish, uh, punctuated with the drums before the it's got some cool background vocals and we all know what a sucker I am for background vocals um, I I never really liked the placement of the scream though going into the solo there's something about that that kind of grated on my nerves but the solo's okay um, and then they bring back that same bass flourish and drum punctuation before going into the chorus um, and as I said not the best song on the album but it's per- as far as sequencing goes this is the perfect place for it it's a good song alright Shannon I agree on both views of it. Um, I think it's a great opening sequence. Um, it's it's a very cool hard rock tune. It's totally 4-4 all the way, but that's what this band is. There's nothing, you know, showboat or fancy about it. They are, unfortunately, Ted Templeman's want-to-be baby of Van Halen. Right down to the video, we, we were talking about Smooth Up In You, which I know we're going to come across next. When you see, when you see Mark Torian, even in the old photographs, if you look at him from afar, it's like, holy shit, this dude really does look like David Lee Roth. It's so spot on. Yes, yeah, slightly heavier. Um, I wouldn't have necessarily <laughs> taken it like more the pudgy side. I think I would have taken it more as the muscular side in the legs. He definitely had bigger legs and he had a, I thought he actually had a nice lower half, to be honest. It looked pretty good, but. Um, it had to be the halter top. It had to be the halter. It had to be with the bullet boys all over it in black and white. Yeah, it had to be all that stuff. But um, I tend to agree that Lonnie Vinson is really kind of driving this as well. Now, what I found interesting about researching these guys is that he was my favorite member of the band. I thought he was hot as hell, especially, you know, he just he had a nice build, his his long flowing blonde hair. And I'm not a big one. I'm not big on blondes, by the way. But for whatever reason, he really did it for me. He does hip hop now. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I kind of like looked okay. at it. I'm like, really? <laughs> when, when did he evolve to this? But besides that, 
I, I just really love his bass playing. And, and I thought really, really matched well up with Jimmy Danda's playing. And there's no wonder that he went on to Lynch Mob. I can see where George Lynch would have picked him up. Yeah. George Lynch played with everybody from the scene. Oh, he did play with everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, Ozzy played with everybody, too. Hence that connection there as well with King Cobra. You know, and I can never pronounce the guy's name either. And this is where we go back. Is, is it, is it um, Carmine? Is it Alpice or is it Alpice? He pronounces it a piece. It is a piece. Okay, yeah. I said His Al, brother Vinny pronounces it Apice. That's why I always heard it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Mm. Okay. And I don't know what's the actual correct one, but that's how, that's what it's I like think the Igor Igor thing from yeah. like Young Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, now this is where I'm kind of like Ray in a lot of respects because you know that whole thing like let's ride. For whatever reason, every time I hear that, I think of Rango. So all I can picture is Rango, like you know, wearing this halter top and doing this hip swaying <laughs> thing. You know, trying to look like Dave Lee Roth. I swear to God, it's the weirdest thing. It's whatever. <laughs> His vocal style in terms of Mark Torian sometimes reminds me a bit of Bon Scott. In fact, the style is ACDC to some degree with a mix of Van Halen and I Hear the Rat, which is prominent, especially in another song down the line. But um, anyway, it's a great opener. That's all I've got to say about this. Ooh, I think I hear a rat. <laughs> <laughs> Ray, what do you think? I, I, I dig this song. I actually kind of like Mark, Mick Sweeta. Mick Sweeta? Sweeta. Mick Sweeta's tone? Sweeta. His tone, it, it's kind of a cool tone. It almost kind of... I don't really know how to describe that tone. It's kind of, it almost kind of reminds me a little bit of the priest stuff, like from the '80s. But then it's it's different in its own right as well. So I got much more on that. Um, you can, I think Shannon it's touched like on it. Priest, don't you think it's like if Priest was recorded by Ted Templeton because he's trying to get the brown sound out of that Les Paul? Oh mm. yeah, oh, good point. I didn't think. Of, okay, that that makes sense then. I would have to say I agree with Shannon that Ted Templeton's production is all over this, and you, especially with like Lonnie Vincent's bass work. Some of those bass fills that he comes in kind of reminds you of like when you hear Michael Anthony like throw something in, like um, like um, Beautiful Girls, you know, like do do do, something like that. Like pop mm-hmm. up there, but like yes. the, the whole overall wall wash of sound remind it's like definitely straight out of the Van Halen playbook, which I'm sure Templeton is like, this is gonna work, fellas. Let's do this. Right. <laughs> um, there's a part where Lonnie Vincent has this cool. Uh, chord bass walk up at like the 22nd mark. I think it's right before uh, Mark Torian starts singing. And I have a, I'm a big sucker for chord bass. I think that sounds kind of cool. Um, so to hear it in the context of like an LA band is pretty groovy. This song, I'll be honest with you, it was, just, it was made for a strip joint. It really is. It was, yeah. <laughs> this whole album. Yeah. yeah, it really is. I mean, it may as well be Motley Crue branded in that respect, or Van Halen. Yeah. Really, it's a, mis- it's, a, it's a mismatch of that type of stuff. <laughs> so the chorus itself is the perfect amount of sleaze to it. I think anymore it would just be kind of ridiculous, and any under, anything underneath would just kind of sound like it was trying too hard. I think it's just the amount of it is perfect. Um, as far as Mick Sweet's guitar solo is concerned, nobody's going to accuse this guy of being like trying to be Ingve by any means, but I think he's a solid rhythm and lead player. I like his lead work, and there's one part of the song right around the two minute, four second mark where he's got like a, almost like a, a pedal tone lick, like. And I thought that was kind of an interesting Noichos. 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 I like it better when you say it like that. Yeah, it was an interesting Noichos on his part. And then he's got, there's like these weird kind of little cascading 16th notes right before he gets that, uh, pet, from the, like a pentatonic or before he gets to that. But this is a good, good album opener, I gotta say. Yeah, it comes right at you with a medium fast hard rock tempo, a meaty hard rock riff, and a solid unflashy rhythm section. The production's crystal clear, like we've all been saying, and those drums are in your face. 
Right away, Mark Torian lets you know that he's going to be the focal point of this band. His vocals are dramatic, dynamic, and occasionally rise into histrionics. But his David Lee Roth on steroids personality is projected in his voice, and most of the time I dig it. The lyrics are about sex, and that's all it is. There's zero subtlety or nuance. Right with the first lines, I got a baby, she likes to sweat, she likes it real hot, she likes it real wet. Seamus gave you all the other lyrics that you need to know about this band. <laughs> Mick Sweet on guitar has a nice biting tone and his solos on flashy but tasty. But for all the Van Halen comparisons Bullet Boys got, Mick said he consciously tried not to play like Eddie Van Halen and he didn't want to be seen as some sort of Eddie clone. And I don't, the guitar does not sound like Eddie no, Van Halen. No, no, not, not at, at all. all. No, so, it doesn't. I never really picked up, I, besides the visuals and Mark Torian doing his David Lee Roth thing, they didn't sound like Van Halen to me. So well, see, this is where we kind of go back to the rap thing. It's almost more like a Warren D. Martini, in my opinion. Yeah. Mm. I, there's a couple parts where I hear that, too. Yep. Yeah. The chorus is catchy as chicken pox, and this tune lays down exactly what you're going to be getting for the rest of the album, some kick-ass hard rock. You know what I forgot to mention that I thought was really cool? That's something that was kind of a hallmark of the bands at this time that I really like is on the chorus, that was on the bell of the ride, so that ding, ding, yes, ding, ding, yes. all four that beats. Cool. That's like yeah. so prominent on this song. And yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, they repeat a lot, and it's not the only song they do that in. He does that quite a bit, and it, it fits well for the style. It yeah. does. Big time. Big time. The next track is Smooth Up In Ya, written by Bullet Boys. Looks like Seamus, your thoughts? This is really the only song that I'd ever heard, original song that I'd heard of before the podcast. And I do vaguely remember the video. I always thought this song had nice space with the drums and the bass. And, and the heroes of this whole album are the drums and the bass. To me, they just really lock in. They do a great job. It's good space. And unlike so many of the drum sounds of the middle to late 80s, these do not sound as dated as some of them. Um, the chorus is, again, a strong chorus. It's obvious that this was the, the song that they were going to use as a single. Um, I think the song and the band are, in many ways, a reflection of the times, but they are no way timeless. The singer, to me, is either trying too hard sometimes or just playing over sings. There's a great breakdown bridge, and then he goes into the scream yodel thing, and to me, that just gets in the way of everything. If he would have just shut up and let the, the band do their job, it, it would have been better for me. It's very much uh, in the still of the night kind of sound on that bridge. The lead, again, is a good lead. There's some really nice unison bends. Uh, he definitely knows his pentatonic scale. Um, but for me, I'm hearing a lot of filler sounds and lead sounds, but it's not a mini song like some leads should be. There's no beginning, middle, and end that's defined. They don't build or it doesn't dissolve. It's just kind of there. And that's fine if he was trying to be the anti-guitar hero of the time and stay away from Eddie, do those things. I get it. And the sound's great. Um, I just don't know that it, it wasn't just a placeholder until the vocals start again. There's a great ascending lick that is played right before the chorus, 
And that lick is better than the entire lead for me. And then the fade on the chorus hook with some nice banshee wells is nice. Overall, this is definitely a single for that that time period. And I, you know, I, I could see that this would be the song that they would play forever. All right. Rock and Mike. I love this song. It's got that great opening scream. Then the rhythm section takes over. Some open chords, and then you have that riff that's as groovy as ruffled potato chips. Um, <laughs> trying to get you a sponsor. Whoa. There you go. Ruffles. Uh, it's as groovy as ruffled potato chips before it goes into the verse. Um, at the 50-second mark, I love the cymbal crashes. I actually had it written down as a cymbal grab at first, but it's not a grab. It just... It, it, they're just kind of shorter crashes um, as the song drops down and then that awesome chorus and then the band drops back out before the great line, you say I'm never going to break you, but we won't know until I try, until we try. Um, it's just, and then back into that groovy riff. The solo on this one, though, is what I find interesting. I, I'm not a guitar player, so I have to preface it, but I love the solo. I it's awkward as hell until... He plays the melody of that line that yes. I like so much. The first much. melody. Yeah, the yeah. first melody. I like yeah. that, too. Yeah. That's I what I like that. about it, too. I it's really harmonized. Love that. Yeah, it's just harmonized. Yes. Yeah. And it really, I think it sums up the album. That solo sums up the album. It's just, it's, it's, there's melody, and there's a groove to it, and he's not going to blow you away with technicality, but it's just cool as hell, and I love the song. All right. Shannon. Um, I really like that white snake comparison, Seamus, because you know I, that you're absolutely spot on there. I didn't catch that before, but now that you mention it, I think that's really good. Now, had I not seen the video, I would have actually called this the Bullet Boys' own in some respects because I think it, as much as it, it does have a Van Halen type of sound to it in terms of that four-four hard rock and type of sound from the late '70s, you know, right up to 1984. It, it definitely seems to kind of stand out from the others. But then you see the video and it's like, holy crap, this guy really is trying to be like David Lee Roth. So that's where you get that comparison there. And then, of course, you learn about the band with Ted Templeman and all that stuff. It almost reminds me of like a tryout of the new Van Halen. To me, in my eyes, I do like this song very much. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I like the band so much is this song. And I, and I do love that intro with him doing that whole, like, you know, you know, smooth up in yeah. I love his vibrato. I like the, the way that he has some, you know, gr you know, grit to it. It's, it's very, very nice. I love the solo in this because of that harmonization, the way that he picks up on that melody. It's so pretty. And it does remind me a bit, again, of Warren Martini's playing, because Warren could do that, and beautifully. And they would do that harmonization through so many different rat songs, like Round and Round and such. Again, I... I I think that of all the songs on this album, this is one of the ones that really does stand out as their own. All right. Ray. I love the shit out of this song. <laughs> um, so I, I, it's probably like we have bring, probably bringing up a wiki fact you probably bring, but I can't resist this one. It's like a button you have to push. Supposedly you can hear it in Hot Tub Time Machine. <laughs> so I think that's really awesome. <laughs> you can hear this song in Hot Tub Time Machine? That's according to wiki, the wiki facts. Yeah. yeah. Damned. Wow. <laughs> Not going to watch that again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we're going to come back to all of us at some point. Lonnie Vincent's bass, it's just like he hits you with a steady stream of 16th notes on that bass. And I was thinking to myself, imagine if you do this like, like an industrial remix of it. Like that. That would actually be kind of cool. But that's just <laughs> that would be cool. me and my little world that I live in. Yeah, I put a little wah, 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 wah. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Apparently they've redone Hard as a Rock 
and you can pull it up on Google. I pulled it up on Google. I didn't mean to, but it came up somehow and it's like a remixed version of it. And it does sound more industrialized and it sounds like a house mix. It's oh. bizarre. <laughs> Seriously. I'd, I'd give it a day in court. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I, the, the riff itself is pretty basic. What I like about that riff is like you have those chords kind of ring out, but then they get out of the way in the first section mm-hmm. when uh, he starts to sing, which is pretty cool. What I think that everybody's kind of overlooking, and for 30 years I didn't notice this till now, is we think this is a song about, you know, seduction, sex, but if you really get down underneath it and you pay attention to the lyrics, this is a song about death, loss, and mourning of a beloved local rabbi in their neighborhood. You guys got that, right? Of course. You are so full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I am, because at one point in the song he goes, I'm sitting Shiva! <laughs> and he says at least three times that he's sitting Shiva. So I think it is about morning. I could be wrong. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it anymore. I'm so <laughs> You froze everybody but Seamus. <laughs> Makes you want to pull out your yarmulke. You know you. it. Mazel. Um, so <laughs> this chorus is one of the great all-time L.A. sleaze rock choruses, complete with gang vocals. And the chorus riff itself is something I've always meant to learn how to play. I mean, I'm sure it's not as complicated as I probably thought at 15 years old. And, but it's just like one of those really catchy, um, almost like a rat kind of um, round and round, kind of got some mm-hmm. minor things going on and stuff like that. I'm not saying it's round and round, but there's more than just straight power chords going on in that. I really think the volume swells they got in the section right after the second chorus. I guess that could kind of almost be Van Halen-y, almost like Romeo's Delight, but kind of mm-hmm. maybe not. Um, as far as mixed suite of solos, I think everybody's touched upon it. Starts off with some weird kind of like double stop riffs and some a flurry of sixteenth notes, and then he apes the vocal melody, which sounds really fucking choice, and he pulls it off nicely. And I've always liked the end of the song where he says, like, "I said it before, and I'll say it again." <laughs> <laughs> He's got that David Lee Roth delivery down that little that <laughs> down to perfectly. <laughs> That's all I got, man. I fucking love this track. <laughs> So I heard an interview with Mark Torian that the title of this song came about when he was signed to Motown as a guitarist for El DeBarge. <laughs> yeah! yeah! Oh my goodness. And he and El DeBarge became close. Mark would watch how El DeBarge would make his moves on women backstage. He would say to them, ooh, you're so fine, I'd love to go smooth up in ya. <laughs> oh my god. That's no like way. This really? became a running oh. joke. God. And Mark told DeBarge he was going to write a song with that title. He just thought that was so cool. And DeBarge oh. said to him, yeah, we'll try to get that played on the radio. Well, he did. <laughs> <laughs> this has a stomping mid-tempo groove, and I dig Jimmy DeAnda's hi-hat work while the bass thumps along and the guitar lays down some choppy chords. Mark sings like an oily used car salesman, which is about the level you'd have to be at to try a pickup line like this. I'd love to go smooth up in ya. <laughs> I dig the vocal melodies, and I do love the line, I'll send shivers. Oh, that's Which I thought was kind of cool. I'd never heard oh, that before. Whoa. I'll send shivers, baby. Let's go smooth up in ya. Come on. How can you resist that? You're such a mashugana. Yeah. Put the dreidel away. <laughs> Otherwise, the lyrics are again in the let's do it, baby vein. Nothing special. The guitar solo we've been saying flounders for a bit, catches on with a harmonized part, and then I dig it. 
The song fades on repeating the choruses and Mark going into his vocal Torianisms, and boy, does he have a lot of those whoops and screams and other loud wordless vocalizations. It's taking the shtick of David Lee Roth to 11, and it can grate on me at times. On this track, I don't mind it that much. This is the track that turned me on to Bullet Boys. I think pretty much all of us. Yeah. And I've always dug it. And it was the first single from the album that reached number 71 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and number 23 on the Mainstream Rock Tracks chart. Whatever the fuck that is. (laughs) (laughs) The following track is Ode to Joe, written by Bullet Boys. Seamus, what do you think? I think I have something here that Shannon's been hitting on when she keeps talking about Warren. If you listen to the lyrics of this, Stephen had the lips and Joey had the licks. Together they would blow you away. Who's the common denominator as a hero to some of these guitar players? It goes back to Joe, which is what the song is about, Aerosmith. Um, It definitely sounds like if you listen to this album, with that frame of mind of, of Joe being the hero uh, that this guy grew up idolizing, you can hear it in his guitar playing. As far as this song goes, finally some cowbell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's got a nice, funky guitar lick, and I'm just going to soapbox here. Mark Q is doing his impression of David Lee Roth, and I call him Mark Q because, look, dude, you're trying too fucking hard. It's M-A-R-K, not Q. Mark, okay? <laughs> down and shut up for a minute and let the plumber do his job. Shannon, what about the C? <laughs> Mark- I got a C port. Um, <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> we can't put that on the album cover. <laughs> Uh, seriously, I, I really like the song. I, I like the structure of the song. I even like the placement on the album in the song. I really think that, again, the drummer's rocking this album. The bass player's rocking this album. Th- this song is kind of like where they've – maybe it's because it's after the big single, but they're kind of settled, and they're like, hey, this is who we are, and we're good with that. So could you be good with that too? It's probably the best lead I've heard so far chronologically. Um, this song shows me that I want to like the Bullet Boys. All right. Mike? Another groovy riff with that cowbell. Everybody's going to hit on the cowbell. You got the, <laughs> the cough and the whistle, and then, the, and then all of a sudden it just turns into this balls-out rocker. The drums on this just make it for me. I love the drums on this track. And again, the production on this completely shines. And I love the marriage of the vocals with the percussion, where it's like, that they owe to Joe, when they punctuate yeah. it like oh, that. Yeah. It's yeah. just cool as hell. And it's another melodic solo that services the song well. Again, we keep saying it, and he's not blowing anybody away, but it really works. It's a good tune. All right. Shannon. Oh, man, I'm sorry, guys. I'm disappointed with this song. It is so straight out of the, v- of the VH handbook. It's ridiculous. To me, it is. Right right with the cowbell, with the vocal inflections. It's identical to David Lee Roth. I wish they had just taken a little bit of what they'd already covered 
and throwing a little bit more of that in there. And the funny thing is we were talking about rap before and the Warren Martini. What made me finally like wake up to it was the solo on this. It starts out identical, practically, to round and round. It, it veers off, of course, and does its own thing. But it's like, holy, I know this. So I shut this off and I go back and I listen to the song round and round. And sure enough, there it is right, right in the very first part of it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So there's another cover right there. And I get that everybody, we've, we've covered this in multiple podcasts before, that everybody is influenced by somebody. It comes out in a different style, in a different way. It's, and they, they inflect their own into it. But these guys have the capability of pulling off their own stuff. And to me, this is just blatant. Uh, it's just not. It's not their own. And it would be a good song had there not been a Van Halen before this. But it, it's good. It's just it's Van Halen. That's that's how I that's how I feel about it. All right. Ray. Well, I'm going to just be totally redundant here. It's a great tribute to Aerosmith's Joe Perry. That is kind of funny because the whole song sounds nothing like Aerosmith. What I thought was a great choice on their part, not to, to try to like ape something like, you know, uh, uh, Mama Can or something like that. Just like, hey, because we were influenced by them. They don't do that. They totally avoid that route, which is I got to give them uh, credit for that. Mark Torin, like even rips uh, the war whoops that fucking David Lee Roth. That's yeah. totally fucking. That's Dave's thing right there. Except Holy that he puts the, the his mouth like the cup mouth. He goes blah, 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 instead of just like doing the. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like you can see him in front of like even like you know the whole spit scream going. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's like the thing. I'm like, oh wow, dude, really? That's what you've got to add originally to this. Oh. It, it's called a tribute act. <laughs> <laughs> Shame is throwing down the gauntlet right here. <laughs> that is so well put and you know and i apologize anyway sorry ray go on no no it's all good it's all good um i think it's kind of i don't know it seems clever to me anyway i like how they actually managed to get two aerosmith song titles into the back in the saddle in there and they also get their cover of johnny burnett's chain cut to roll in there too i thought hey that's not not bad it kind of fits in and this came out in 88 and what uh permanent vacation came out in 87 yeah. or something like that yeah yep. yes um, the one Aerosmith thing Torian kind of does, I don't know if it was purposely, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing because I'm not sure what, I, what came first, but he gets a, a ga, 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 but he does it a yes. lot slower in yeah. there too. And that, the first time I started to hear Tyler do that was in their 80s comeback shit. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much in their like their, the 70s awesome stuff that they had. His Steven Tylerism is slower and just a little bit groovier. That's a good song. I like it. All right. So this one starts with a cowboy we were saying, a dirty riff, and a ton of Torianisms. What up? It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like Dino the Dinosaur from Flintstones. <laughs> Dino, shut up! That's what I thought it sounded like. The obvious reference is Aerosmith. It's all over the music, and the sound is sort of copped from 70s Aerosmith, at least in the riff, and it's done pretty well. The lyrics reference Joe Perry and even Steven Tyler's brought in, steaming up the lips and Joey had licks. Together they would blow you away. To drink at the bowl and right out of control, put the bad act in the saddle today. All the hard rock bands are trying to match Aerosmith, but they can't. They gotta pay the debt they owe to Joe Perry. The solo's bluesy and tries to find the Joe Perry style. To my ears, the Bullet Boys do a good job paying their debt to Joe. There's cowbell all over this bad boy and more Torianisms toward the end of the track that almost go off the rails, but not quite. This is solid. I dig it. The next track is Shoot the Preacher Down, written by Bullet Boys and Grant Morris. Just when I thought that he was dead Got my back on his feet And this is what he said Black and bad, white and dry 
Seamus, what do you think? Nice little funk song, more David Lee Roth impression. Um, I, I keep, you know, like I said, this is the first time I've really gone in depth with this this album release. So the, these are all new to me. I, I don't have the reflection of 30 years to listen to these. I, I listened to them this week. And the thing I kept was like, who does this guy sound like? Sure, okay, he's doing David Lee Roth, and he sounds a little bit like Rat. And he sounds, little, and then it, it dawned on me. I think he sounds like uh, Y and T. Um, I can't remember his name. Dave. Uh, Man, Man, what, are, what is it? Dave Manichetti. Manichetti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, to me, it, some of just the, his phrasing. And and the I don't know the 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 range of his voice sometimes he just comes across like he's got that that Y and T vibe going on. Another okay lead, um, a, another great bass and drum song. But I couldn't help but every time I heard you know I'd go through this when the chorus would come up I would just like take my whiskey home. And then I thought yeah I should. <laughs> <laughs> Well said. Rock and Mike. So all the Van Halen references, what's really funny is going back, um, I really didn't listen to a lot of Van Halen growing up. So when I heard this album, I've never really made a lot of the Van Halen in kind of associations, especially when this album came out. Now that I listen to it, I can hear them, but... I also saw Caddyshack 2 before Caddyshack 1. So, <laughs> you know, poor, um, poor man. Yeah. So, I'm a li- so I always said this song was my hidden gem. I really like this song. The uh with the beginning of this song, the cymbal work with kind of the noodly blues riff and then Mark Torian's vocals. Uh, it's kind of a more of if if any he does anything subdued, um kind of like what I said with Motorhead. You know, it's kind of a subdued delivery that follows the phrasing underneath. And I like that. Um, and then they just hammer the gas pedal and the song takes off. Another song that they use a lot of space in, I think Seamus, you were the one that said it earlier, they do use a lot of space in everything. Um, I like the space in this track. And a good example is that right before the solo, it's hard to peg McSweeta as a, as a guitar player. Great groove, great rhythm, and his playing has some soul, but his solos confuse me a lot. And I wonder if he's trying too hard to avoid the Eddie Van Halen comparisons. So, uh, But they come out of the solo and they build back up to the chorus at 100 miles an hour before before the song just stops. So, But I really like this tune. Okay. Shannon. Again. <laughs> oh, my God. If, if the last one didn't sound like Van Halen, this one's worse. It's it's Van Halen again. It's it's just so them over and over. It's like you can pick bits and pieces of of songs and be like, oh, that's from this one and this was from that one. And I'm, of course, I'm not doing a very good. I'm not being very eloquent at, at saying which songs they are, but it's all there to me. Now, what I find interesting is that all of us are picking up that that thing about Torian's vocal style. We are hearing this bit of like a, a kind of like a funk type of thing. What I picked up from it, and you guys will probably laugh at me, was he kind of reminds me of Corey Glover from Living Color sometimes. He does. He just does it in times. It's like, oh, wow. He's got that beautiful vibrato that if he would just let it be clean and let it be his own, it would just be sparkling. It would be awesome. But um, you, can, you can just hear how he's trying to be somebody else, and that's how it feels to me. It feels forced, and it doesn't have to be that way. Again, if this had been... If there had been no Van Halen before, this would be a great song. I, I like the lyrics. I even like the title of the song. It's great. But th- that's it. That's all I've got for it. Okay. Ray? Well, 
I actually really love this song. (laughs) 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 Uh, And part of it is when it came out, too, is was right at the beginning of the Praise the Lord scandals, and I hated all those motherfuckers. Your Jimmy Swaggers, your fucking... Pat Robertson's and all of those Jim and Tammy Baker the Bakers <laughs> fucking you name it all yeah. those, and I just watch, I loved watching these fucking idiots throw their money at them and just thinking and you know Jimmy Swagger you know he's, he's gonna save you but he's also gonna pay for a donkey show in a motel room <laughs> yeah. so, uh, I kind of like the song for the exact the exact reasons you're saying <laughs> <laughs> see there's a <laughs> just proving there's a sucker born every man hey, wait a minute though you can say what you want about the preachers, but leave the fucking donkey out of it. You <laughs> <laughs> just trying to make some money. Hey, the, don- the donkey got paid. He was happy. <laughs> He's a product of the system. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but I think the, the lyric there, you know, the, um, was that black is bad and white is right and white by day is black by night. It totally like show, show, puts a highlight on the hypocrisy of those those fucking dillweeds at the time. The thing, also, the intro of the song, I thought it was really kind of, didn't really hit me till like, this week. I think these guys could have been a great blues bar band on their own. Mm-hmm. If they, like, had like, never met Mark Torian and did their own thing. Just, like, some of the turnarounds that they use in this and some, like, the chords that, like, um, McSweet is playing in the background. They could totally pull that off. Or, you know, just, like, an introductory band, an introductory band for some, like, late-night TV show, you know? Mm. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, there, there's some like smart stuff going on in this. You got those nice little rim clicks provided by Jimmy Deanda, and then Sweeta and Torian kind of like join up in like that vocal melody and the guitar lick going on in the beginning, and then the distortion kicks in, and that's totally ripped out of like the Van Halen ZZ Top swing book, and uh, it really drives the shit out of this song. And you get that really cool mini turnaround right before the chorus kicks, and that da 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 da. You know, the Doors use stuff like that, yeah, like that, and which is pretty. You're hearing a lot of guys in LA do that kind of thing back in the day. At least I did, certainly did the stuff that I was listening to. It was on like, mainstream radio. The bridge section is really killer. It's like total lounge lizardy. <laughs> and Lonnie Vincent even plays like some decent walking bass. Yes, like he's yeah. walking all over this motherfucker. Like he actually knows what he's doing and he can do it confidently. It sounds fucking cool. And Sweetest solo is pretty decent bluesy solo, but um, uh, what's really cool is the supported by the chords that are right underneath there is right out of Little Walter's Off the Wall. If you ever get a chance to listen, like, a review on here, like, a really good, like, harmonica instrumental from that era of, like, uh, chess records, check that song out. And then you can kind of hear, like, the, the correlation between both songs. And the way... <laughs> the way Torian says down just reminds me of Raw. That's the... Well, a lot of the Torian stuff does remind me of Raw. But yeah, that's what I got. Now the band doubles down on the blues rock and starts this with that quiet intro bluesy lick and Mark tries his hand at some blues vocalizing before the track turns into a more up-tempo groove and again brings the Aerosmith, or I guess early Van Halen vibe, with down-and-dirty blues-inflected riffs and a rhythm that resembles a train rumbling down the tracks. The target of the lyrics was an easy one in the 80s, the hypocrite televangelists had ended up in one scandal or another, and Mark just says, get rid of them. Everybody said, get rid of them. <laughs> It seemed like almost every band had a song like this in their repertoire at the time, though. The breakdown actually has that nice walking bass part, like you mentioned, Ray, from Lonnie Vincent. And Nick's solo starts and stops and isn't anything special, but it gets the job done. Holy fuck, does it seem like with each song, the Torianisms keep coming more and more, getting louder. His voice is way up front in the mix, so you're going to hear every last ow! I'm still on board, though. This is another solid tune. The following track is For the Love of Money, written by Kenneth Gamble, Leon Huff, and Anthony Jackson. For the 
Seamus, you like this one? Oh, it's a great cover tune. You know, I couldn't help it. Every time I hear this song, I, I, it reminds me of uh, Shane O'Mac from wrestling. But uh, yeah, good stuff, man. Great bass lick, uh, guitar leads that fits the song, a really solid cover. And it's almost as if Mark was controlled a little more in his over singing. Good stuff. All right. Rock and Mike. Uh, I love this song. I thought it was a cool cover. When it came out, I didn't know it was an OJ song. You know if you're going to cover this song, you have to. your bass player's got to be able to pull it off. Mm. And as we've been talking the whole time so far, Lonnie Benson can definitely he can pull it off. And it's another song with a lot of space, which is exactly what it needs to maintain the coolness of the original. But at the same time, it, can, it needed to match the bombast of the rest of the record, and I think they mixed that pretty well. Um, you got another banshee scream, and then my weakness, the cool background vocals. One thing that I thought was interesting about this record and about the time it came out as well, you've heard tons of people have talked about how the, the you know the the second single is always the ballad. There's all you know, it's always the ballad, and you, you can go back and you can look at all of the glam metal albums and where this where the ballad fell. This album doesn't have any ballads, and this album didn't have a third single. So it, it sold half a million copies on two singles, So, which I always thought was curious why the label didn't release a third. They could have picked a third single off this and, and, and driven it a little bit more. Um, so I just thought that was kind of cool, but I really loved the choice of this as a single, and I like the song. Shannon? I totally agree with what you said. Oh my God, that is so true. They that that was the way it used to work. They would they would release the second always as a ballad, and that usually used to like, you know, catapult the band over the top if they were worth any, you know, if they were worth their their merit basically. And they didn't do that in this case, and they still did really well on on just these two songs. And I think this is a lovely tribute to the OJ's. It, it keeps in with with their genre, with the time and everything, but yet this beautiful. I mean, I love the bass in this, and I love those background vocals, and I love it, right, when when it stops just like the original, when it do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and it gives that second just to do that bass, and it's like, oh, how cool, and then it brings those vocals back in, it's like, wow, this really is like the OJs, but yet it's still completely keeping in with that hard rock, heavy metal glam scene, and it's just fantastic. I do like this song very much. Again, if I could have seen more of this type of stuff, even as a cover, again, I'm very critical about covers. I I, I listen to them, and I, I listen hard, and I, I, I can be funny about them, as probably people have heard in other podcasts. <laughs> anyway, I, I think this one was really well done. Seriously, this is a great song. Shan, how's that bass lick go? Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Nice. What do you think? You know, I'm sure, and this is just the image I had in my head. Templeman was sitting in the studio with a fucking cigar and his other. Listen, fellas, I'm telling you something here. It wasn't ain't talking about love that made it. It was you really got me, and it was pretty woman. And I can't, I can't have no excuses for dancing in the streets because that was just an abortion. But all their other covers were mint, and the covers are gonna make you. You want to avoid the ballad route completely because that's what they're doing now with the new act with Sammy. You want to go with a cover, a really good cover that nobody's gonna see coming. All right, I just had to you get that on. You and Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, only if he could have dressed up like the guy from the Dirty Rotten Filthy Stinking Rich album. <laughs> That's right. Really. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Like when I read when this album kind of came out, and I was like, I think most of us were, were scanning through like Rip Magazine, Hit Parader, and Circus. I remember coming across an interview with Mark Torian, and he said that he understood the Roth comparisons. He said 
the the only thing that he felt, at least in the interview, that he and Roth had in common was they both had like a love of R and B and Motown and stuff like that, and that's where he thought it was. Yeah, which <laughs> nice try. That's, that's the only. That's place it. That's totally it. Not that that's it. <laughs> no, none of that stuff. No, yeah. But definitely, you know, yeah. It's it's your definite Otis Redding like deliveries. Um, Marcorian's <laughs> uh, nose is wider. That's about it. That's the only difference yeah. there. He has bigger legs. Obviously, we've talked about this. <laughs> I gotta say, oh, Dave could rock a halter top better. Because <laughs> yes, Dave was skinny, skinny. Dave wasn't skinny fat. <laughs> <laughs> He's missing the paunch there. There it is. But you know, all things joking aside, I actually do love this cover. That the only the only reason I would have known it was like a uh, an OJ song is because remember when Channel sixty one out of Hartford first started up? Yeah, they had like a big that it was nineteen eighty five or eighty six like right around like they had like a big Fourth of July celebration thing in Hartford and they were doing ads for it and they were playing that baseline and like oh that's cool I didn't hear it for years until I heard this album. What baseline? I told you than I do. And Lonnie Vincent can hold his own, obviously enough to the point where they just let him get that breakdown at the one minute forty second mark. And then we get into the guitar solo. And his mixed with his solo starts like a real cool flurry of guitar notes, and then he just kinda avoids that completely. And I think it's like, you know, we we're saying they're trying to avoid the Van Halen mm-hmm. comparisons. I mean, he always said that he was more of a Michael Shanker fan than he was an Eddie Van Halen fan anyway. I'm not familiar enough with Shanker's work to verify I that. I like Michael Shanker. I hear good it's things really about good. him. So yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's one of the guys I really want he to is. check out. And this is another song on this album where I almost get the feeling that he would that Mick Sweeter would be happier playing in like a blues band somewhere, you know? Playing, you know, Long. The whole band. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Like, yeah, they, they want to go out there, play Mustang Sally and Brown Eyed Girl a couple times yeah. and get their beer money and go back to their day jobs. <laughs> I, I always got this impression that, like, Sweeter was, like, one of those guys in L.A. who was probably, like, giving guitar lessons and just trying to, like, make it and do his thing. And he's like, fuck, I might as well jump on this train. <laughs> so, but I like this. It's a good, it's cool. It's a cool song. It's lucky for the Bullet Boys that I heard their version of this years before I heard the original by the OJs. Because if I had, I would have thought the Bullet Boys version sucks ass. <laughs> they strip all the funk out of the tune and play it as a lunk-headed thud rocker with no real groove to it and a tempo that a glacier would appreciate. But I do like it because it has a different vibe than the rest of the album. And Jimmy DeAnda's drums are positively thunderous and give us more good hi-hat. Lonnie makes a go with the classic bass line in the breakdown section and shows us that he's about as funky as a brontosaurus stuck in a tar pit. <laughs> and if this is Mick Sweet's attempt at a funk guitar solo, I'd get more pleasure from having my nuts smashed with a ball-peen hammer on a tray of popcorn kernels. The lyrics are all about money being the root of all evil and humankind's obsession with possessing it. There are a truckload of Torianisms in this one, but I can't go through them all. Forget it. Bullet Boy, Sing! This was the second single that reached number 78 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 38 on the Mainstream Rock Tracks chart, whatever the fuck that is. You know, come to think of it, I really do like this song. Do I? The next track is Kissin' Kitty, written by Bullet Boys.
Seamus, hit us. Well, a pretty with a titty kissing every dude in sight. <laughs> it's just poetry. <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine Mark sitting at his table in his crummy uh, L.A. apartment just pouring himself into the song and the lyrics of this album and just pacing up and down after his seventh cup of coffee gone. I don't know. Titty kissing? Is that the... Oh, I just, I'm really struggling with this. He needed a rhyming dictionary. <laughs> nice drum intro, nice guitar riff, nice bebop and verses, good chorus. I really like the song. Again, the lead is good, but we're six songs in, and I gotta wonder, did they not have Mike Slammer's telephone number? <laughs> Nice. Wow. You think Ted Templeman would have it? Yeah, right, yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You know he had Eddie's. Yeah. (laughs) Are you you all set, Seamus? That's all I got. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) Rock and Mike, what do you think? So, Jimmy's drums. Again, the drums I love. It's got a cool riff. And one thing this album's got is swagger. The, The lyrics. They're completely juvenile. Same thing. I was thinking the same thing. Like, what word rhymes with kitty? Ooh, ooh, I know. And there's like <laughs> infamous little Johnny in the back of the classroom going, I got a word that rhymes with kitty. Um, and he's, but it, it's a petting. <laughs> like a petting zoo? Um, or it's really shitty. I don't know. <laughs> so the lyrics are juvenile, but the song itself I like, and I like the swagger, which is definitely what they have. And I got the feeling from this that unlike other L.A. bands, they actually had time to be a band. You could tell they were seasoned musicians, and they weren't thrown in like, oh, hey, there's this new band. Quick, here you go. Here's a million bucks and make a record and we're going to get you out there. It seems you could feel that these songs were played live and worked out a little bit, even though we I mean, we keep crushing the solos on everything. Like most songs on this album is driven by the rhythm section. There's not really a solo. It's just kind of some weird notes kind of thrown together. Um, and I was never really good at math, so I, I don't know what special number Kitty likes to do. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon, do you know the special number? <laughs> I agree with both counts on this, um, except that in my opinion, at this point, they're like, oh, shit, Ted Templeman just threw a million dollars at us. We better really sound like Van Halen now. Yeah. And, that's, and that's how I interpret it once again. It's like, oh, oh. And Rango somehow gets his way back in it with Let's Ride. So, you know, it's, again, it's just, it's it's straight out of a Van Halen book. It's, the, the lyrics are like, yeah, and and the music is, oh, Van Halen, and it's, yeah, Ted Templeman. There it is. Ray? Well, once again, we have another strip joint classic right out of the <laughs> Bada Bing room. Really, I have nothing to add to this except that I always like the unison bends to all of Jimmy Page after Torian says, kissy, kiss, and get out. That's really my favorite part is like, rear, rear. Yeah. And just for emphasis, rear, rear. <laughs> I might even end everybody's phrase tonight by popping in and going, rear, rear. <laughs> Somebody take that hammer away from him. <laughs> Somebody can start hissing. You know? <laughs> hissing kitty. They could have called it hissing kitty. <laughs> All right. Now we're back to rocking. This is sort of the mirror image of Hard as a Rock. It even nearly has the same tempo. 
Mark has his eye on a special kitty at the bar who seems to have a reputation for kissing every dude in sight. But when she sets her sights on him, he's only giving her a one-night stand. You know, he's got principles. <laughs> I dig the riffs and the solos, punchy and short. The whole track kind of whizzes by, and I swear, Mark can't let two seconds go by without making some sort of noise with his mouth. Most of the time I find him humorous. It's just when he opens wide and lets fly that I get mildly irritated. Mildly. <laughs> This is a good track that sort of resets the album for the back half. <laughs> the following track is Hell on My Heels, written by Bullet Boys and Grant Morris. Seamus, what do you say? Well, it's bourbon for breakfast, dragging two packs a day. I'm a sight. I'm a howling and a growling. I'm paying the price with this light. I got hell, hell on my hills. It's a great, and, and I, I didn't catch the whole album until we started talking about this, but this is this is a blues. This is the hellhounds on the hell. This is sitting at the crossroads, getting your guitar tuned up right here. Uh, it, it, it is that tribute that... Uh, I agree. These guys would make a great bar band and a great blues band. And I forgive me if I'm wrong, but have we heard Mark on any other album before Bullet Boys? Like he was just a touring King guy, King. and right. So these these guys as a unit performing the band themselves are really really good. I just wonder what they would have sounded like. Uh, with a different singer or with a different producer, if they weren't forced to do the the Van Halen thing, yeah. Um, and and I I don't know enough about them and their other albums to know if that's something that develops with them over time. But it, it, as far as this song goes, I like the opening riff. This verse has a really nice head banging beat to it that you just kind of rock along with it. There's more banshee singing that he does over the chorus, but I kind of like it this time because it's kind of over the gang vocals. And, and it, it kind of flows with it and gives him more substance for, for that Banshee well because there's something underneath him. I feel like the verses, though, could have gone longer. Like they were almost like a half a verse. Like they just – by the time we were into the verse, they were over. Um, the civil work on this is just – fucking amazing i mean the drums on all this album but if you just if you were to strip down everything but just the symbol work on this you'd be like this guy is amazing um i like the gang vocals as, as you guys have said on other songs i always like that about the 80s and these type of bands this could be the favorite uh, of on the album for me all right mark torian he he cut his he was known as a guitar player first yeah. right yeah it was he actually had an audition to replace randy rose with ozzy yeah oh shit yeah and he did play with rat i think that's what yep. he i think he only became yeah. a singer in king cobra right that's yeah. kind of his first gig is yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i said heard he used to bill himself as the guy who could sing sweet like steve perry and rip like eddie van halen that was like his like ad in the papers okay like that yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah did he not own a guitar during this time I don't know. If you see footage of them now, he plays guitar. He's their second guitar player. Yeah, he should have been on this one. I mean, 
Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But you know, there's a there's a documentary on if anybody has Amazon Prime about the kind of the L.A. scene in the '80s, and there's an interview section with him, and he talks about how uh, Sharon Osbourne after the Ozzy audition, Sharon Osbourne called and said uh, called and actually he got the message through his mom because he was so young at the time, and his mom uh, she told um, his mom that he was just too young, and that was the reason why he didn't get the Ozzy gig. But I find that a little suspect because if you watch those documentaries, every like B-level musician in those documentaries has a story about how they just missed the Ozzy gig. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so yeah. I, you have to yeah. take that with a grain of salt. Mm, right. yeah. Have you guys seen him live with him playing guitar? No, he actually came no. through Western mm. Mass about two months ago locally, and uh, I ended up missing it. I couldn't go. Um, I've seen some footage, which was it was okay. I'm just curious if it would have toned his singing style down because I know it's it, for me it's hard to do both. So I don't I'm not as expressive vocally if I have to play guitar. It's just curious. I would think he'd have to anyway, just because that type of style, it, because he forced it so hard, it's difficult long long term on on your vocal cords. I mean, literally, it's physically difficult to keep up after so many years of just like screeching and yelling and bansheeing and whatnot. So I would think that he probably has toned it down. Did, did you tell me? Mike, that is the voice is shot now. Yeah, is it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you See, once on, again, no doubt. There's yeah. uh, they have a cover album, and it's it's horrific. It's they they do like a cover of Pink, they do Motley Crue, Doctor Feelgood, they do I think it's Eddie Money, um, but his voice his voice is fried. It's yeah. just he's yeah, it's he's, he's just burnt it out. I do agree yeah. though. He, his version of Journeys Faithfully was not. Yeah, that the, that's probably the best one on the album. Yeah, yep. Mm. So he really could do the Steve Perry stuff if forced yep. to. If he didn't beat the oh, shit out of his vocal cords, all that's too bad. Yeah. That um, is too bad. Whose turn is it? Mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what do you think? I'm kind of the opposite of, she- of Seamus. Um, I felt this one was kind of filler. It does start with the classic one, two, fuck you, um, which is cool. It does come back in a couple other songs. There's actually a, anybody know the punk band Sick of It All? They do a cover of uh, Sham 69's Borstal Breakout, and he starts the exact same way. Um <laughs> Five Finger Donkey Punch has a, um, <laughs> they have a t-shirt that says one, two, fuck you on the back. Same thing, which is kind of weird because Mick Sweeta after the Bullet Boys was in a band with two of the guys who went on to be in Five Finger Death Punch. Oh, um, So there's a little kind of incestuous stuff like that. But for most part, I mean, it's everything that we've heard. All the elements in the song are on the entire album. But for me, it just doesn't work with this song. The propelling bass line. It's just filler and kind of until the breakdown, but the moment you hit the breakdown, you got a David Lee Roth screech, which is still the coolest part of the song for me. So overall, it's kind of eh. All right. Shannon, what do you think? I'm I'm really with Rock and Mike on this one. It's it's kind of filler for me as well. Again, it's another Van Halen do, and I, I, except for that one, two, fuck you. I, that, you know, of course, we're all like, yay, wow, he swore <laughs> on it back in the 80s. So... <laughs> You know, but other than that, I, I just don't think there's anything extraordinary about it that makes it their own, per se. It's it's straight 4-4 time. It's got a lot of Dave Lee Roth inflections, um, the guitar licks, the bass even. And I like Lonnie Vincent's bass quite a bit. And I and I do like J- Jimmy DeAnda's, um, you know, his playing. But, again, it's it's just it's too much like Van Halen to me. Okay. Ray, 
Well, I think everybody said it. You know, the one, two, fuck you definitely appealed to my 15-year-old self. Yep. Exactly. And, I, and I'll admit it at 46 that uh, there's a lot of days at work where I, that appeals to myself. So <laughs> I dare not say It still makes your it. toes curl. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, Yay! I, <laughs> I dig the way Torian holds hell, and they have that gang vocals going, hell, in the background. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Without sounding so much like Mr. Furley like I did. <laughs> Once again, Mark is um, really getting into the, his Rothism, especially at the one-minute mark. He, like, rips off the, hey, that's fucking right out of Dave's book, mm. without a doubt. And then, I guess, what's what you would call a Torianism um, before the guitar <laughs> solo. is like, <laughs> 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 and, Yeah, like, oh, man, Mark. He just had his James Hetfield, St. Anger, fucking Howard Dean moment at that point. And then I'm just kind of like, Whoa! Bring it on back, buddy. Come back home to us. That's a little bit too much. The only real highlight of this song for me um, is the part where he goes, we're in the pocket, and you get the cowboy answer, that, yeah. Like that. Yes. Yeah. That's actually really fucking cool, man. Like, that that saves it for me. But on that, it's this doesn't really blow my skirt up. Yeah, you had me at one, two, fuck you, boys. <laughs> this is a mid-tempo grinder of a song that's got more solid riffing, but how the hell would you know with the drums pounding through your eardrums and Mark Torian chewing up every last bit of scenery he can steal? Lyrically, our boy Mark is not in a good place. Trouble follows him everywhere. He's a train wreck, but he doesn't seem to care. The one good person in his life has left him, so screw it. I gotta tell you, listening to this album in headphones has really highlighted for me how the drums smash everything in their path and just how many Torianisms there are all over these tracks. This man will not let you forget who the singer is. Take a fucking breath, Mark. I guess there's bass plunking underneath, and rumor has it there's a guitar solo in here somewhere. But fucked if I know, all I hear is... I like this track. It's got a cool breakdown. <laughs> the following track is Crank Me Up, written by Bullet Boys and Grant Morris. Seamus, you getting cranked up? Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like, smooth up, cranked up. <laughs> yeah, nasty, nasty Uncle Sam. FBI, don't give a damn. Hip trip, never quit. Uh, only thing good about these lyrics is the way that he weaves them around the drums. It's nice and tight. It's got a nice bad boy boogie on it. There's good swagger on this. I think somebody said that earlier. This whole album is 10% talent, 90% swagger to me sometimes. Um, and that's not to say they're not talented. It's just like, it, I don't, you got Ted in there not getting it out of them. Or, or I don't know what was the direction. I don't know what the hell happened. Uh, nice Eddie style lead on this one. But I couldn't help but wondering if like, did I hear someone say, has anyone seen my pencil? I wonder what she's going to look like this year. <laughs> I don't feel tardy. <laughs> oh, fuck. 
Mike, what do you say? Uh, well, we're back from the filler break. Um, <laughs> with a, it, It's a cool opening with that 24 blue, 24 <laughs> blue. I like that. Um, and a cool riff. The, the thing about that riff, is he just kind of like tapping on the neck? Like the da, 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 da. like I can't, I can't. I'm not sure what he's doing. I yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I I like the sound of that, and I like the little break before the crank me up. And the one Torianism on this album that I don't mind is a boom shakalaka, boom shakalaka. <laughs> I, I, I didn't mind that one. I, and actually, this song for me had one of the better solos. I like it, but it's one of the lesser songs for me. Shannon, Badlands. We're in crank me up. Badlands. Crank me up. Are you sure? Badlands, honey, yep. we don't fool around. Crank me up. Oh my God, they left it off. It's not what on did? my. It's not it's Google. It's not on my thing. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, it's totally left off my song list. That's weird. And this is not the first time this has happened. So I, I can't even say anything other than the fact that Google sucks in that respect. Sometimes this is where I wish I'd go back to um, Wikipedia. And make sure that everything's in line. This happened with animals. You guys remember? Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. They didn't break the song up. It was all like one thing. Yeah. The way that they it was five tracks. And that was it. And you guys were like, wait a minute. That's the way it was on the eight track. And I'm like, what? That's not the way I'm seeing it, though. That's not the way it's coming out. So I'm sorry. Yeah. So. Crank it up. <laughs> Ray, what do you think about Crank Me Up? Uh, well. The song really kind of cooks along, and originally what I was going to say, hey, the Van Halen comparisons can stop here, but then Van Halen's got Lost Control and Romeo's Delight, which are both really fast-paced as well. Um, this is a great driving at night song when you're just begging to get pulled over at like 2 o'clock in the morning and you know have a breathalyzer, even if you're just like, you know, amped up on coffee and mini thins. Um, <laughs> Back when they used to sell them at gas stations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sir, why are you rubbing your head back and forth? Oh, I'm fine. I'm I fine. Stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I know what that's like. <laughs> Just say no, folks. Uh, I was. I took so much, my third eye is twitchy. <laughs> I the the verse section is entertaining, and I was gonna kick out of the. Part was, <laughs> once again appealing to you know my inner twelve year old. Once again, like I, I can't help it. It's like whack a mole at this point. It's like spot the David Lee Rothisms. Is right out of fucking Roth's book. There's a card, another chord bass fill in here from Lonnie Vincent, which is decent. The thing I had uh, my the mem- my main memory of this song is I was talking about Matt going away to Indiana. Matt mm-hmm. Deal, big influence me on a lot of the metal that I listened to when I was in high school. And he came back, but he had never heard the Bullet Boys. And we, like, I think we got it for him for his birthday or something like that. And, like, he dug it. But for some reason, this song was, like, his favorite on the entire album. And I just remember, like, sitting there listening to him. And it's, like, when it came to that one part of the song, it's like, <laughs> boom, chaka, laka, laka, boom, chaka, laka, laka. And it's, like, I'm nowhere. Like, what the fuck did that come <laughs> And so every time I hear this song, I picture, like, my, my early, late 80s, early 90s molded friend, like, listening to that and saying that over and over again. So it's, it's a fun song. It's, it's uh, you know, it's, this is not going to be, you know, The Who or Led Zeppelin, but just, you know, it does the job. Yeah, I remember, I, I never really thought this band sounded like Van Halen because of the guitar work, really. I mean, I, I, I was kind of scratched Mark Torian out of the equation. But, except for this song, because the main riff reminds me vaguely of Hang 'Em High, 
by oh, yeah. Van Halen. Wow. Uh, but this track cooks. It's the fastest one. The tempo's fast. The riffs actually hold Mark at bay for a few seconds here and there, except the end where he goes for a lengthy high note, and I can just picture his neck cords bulging, <laughs> his eyes wide as saucers, and the vein in his forehead pulsing to burst. Who cares about the fucking lyrics? Crank me up, suck it. What else do you need to know? <laughs> Mick Sweeta gets an opportunity to solo for a couple of bars and does a passable job. I also like the rising and falling lick that weaves in and out of the song as the track finishes up. That oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yep. that. I can sum this song up like this. Boom, shaka, laka, laka, boom, shaka, laka, laka. Rear, <laughs> rear. The penultimate track is Badlands, written by Bullet Boys. Seamus, what do you say? The lyric says, when the strange hanging blues come to you, it's time to do or die. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> That's it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, you see, we like, you can tell the progression of the show, we lose steam. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you, man. I the last you. track, Seamus, is probably going to give us a one-word answer. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, Mike, what do you so, think? So I put the darkest song on the album, which fits ly- lyrically. Even the tone changes a little bit. The guitar is sparse, and it's more moodily. As, uh, again, the rhythm <laughs> section shines. There's uh, For me, there's some cool background vocals uh, with a bad lens. And sequencing, again, is huge, as it provides uh, much-needed change of pace kind of from everything that has been leading into. And at the same time, it sets up the next track nicely. Shannon? I think this is a really cool tune. It's bluesy. It's funky. It's It's got a really mean bass in it. I like the syncopation that happens during the verse. I do like the chorus. Again, I picture these cheerleaders, for whatever reason, like leaning in with their pom-poms. And Lonnie Vincent with his, you know, buff self, you know, with his, his hair and pigtails going, bad lands. <laughs> and you know, that... that Honey, we don't fool around. I, I like that. I think those are really cool lyrics. I think this is a, a better track. It's it's veering a bit away from what I perceive as Van Halen. I found it very interesting, Aaron, that you you didn't get that right out from the outset. It's like wow. I mean, that's that's to me. This is almost this is their cover band, but this this sounds more like what I would hope the Bullet Boys is. This is what they should be more like. Lottie Vincent and Pigtails. Yes. <laughs> that, that, that. It's time to wake up and go to school. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yay! Right. It's kind of funny with Badlands. If you go back to my old walk, Sony cassette Walkman, this was definitely on Fast Forward's greatest hits. I like, for some reason, this did not grab me at the time. I just thought it was just like, why are you making this decision? But now that I've had some chance away from it and come back to it, I actually really like this part, this song. Um, I think like one of the most compelling parts of it is the pre-chorus, like the chords they use, that the sayonara sweets, something, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what the fuck he's saying in there, but I like the pre-chorus. And this is probably like my favorite Mick Sweeta solo on the entire album. And um, 
Shannon, when you mentioned like the Warren D. Tar- D. Martini kind of thing, yeah, he does this descending lick that George Lynch and Warren D. Martini used to do all the time. It's a descending thing on the on the B and the E string. It's like I think it's just moving in thirds downwards. The way he does it is he mutes it. That that's like right out of the D. Martini Lynch book. Yes, and, but the way he mutes it sound, makes it sound like his own thing. So that's pretty cool. The end almost kind of reminds me a little bit of Wild Side by Motley Crue, the way they kind of go into like the swing of it. Mm. Oh, I can hear that. But yeah. instead of just yeah, like carrying out forever with like the synth horn trying, and that and all that <laughs> bullshit, they just kind of <laughs> slam the door on it. So that's pretty cool. This is not a cover of the Bruce Springsteen song, and that's a good thing, because I don't think I could deal with these bozos fucking up in front of the boss. <laughs> in this tune, the main guitar growls, and there's a sense of menace to the music, and that's the vibe of the lyrics, which are pretty vague, but hint at violence in the night when the bad moon shines down. I don't know what else to pull from them. I think Seamus pulled them enough. The guitar solo is okay. It's bendy and it adds to the threatening feel of the song. But I get the strong sense that Mick Sweet is being held back on this album. I, I, I'm betting he's capable of much more with the solos. I, I'm not familiar with his work with King Cobra. I'm not. So is there anything either. that? Yeah, I don't even I, know. I, if I, it, but there's like no. the potential for so many little things here and there pop up. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to listen to the the King Cobra stuff, but they had the two guitar attack, so I wasn't sure what was him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And before I forget, there are backing vocals on this album, too, but most of the time they sound kind of snotty and repeat the song title like a bunch of bratty two-year-old boys who are made to stand in the corner. Badlands! (laughs) (laughs) Mark says, we don't fuck around, and I don't either, Mark Torian. This track is fine, but it's also... (laughs) And Kitty goes... And that brings us to the final track, F Sharp 9, written by Bullet Boys. Seamus, last one, man. For my resistance, hits an all-time low. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just quoting the lyrics. Um, actually, this sounds like a demo that made the album. Like, this was something they did before Ted got involved, and this might have been, like, who they would have been if it wouldn't have been like, no, you're going to be the next Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> Those bozos are off with Sammy Hagar. <laughs> I got a song for you. He was still pissed off. The world according to Ted. <laughs> I love the song structure. <laughs> the world according to Ted. I like the song structure. It feels different to me than a lot of the other songs. It's weird that they placed it 10. I, I mean, maybe not. Even some of the quality of the recording sounds different to me. There's more traditional riffs being played. There's not the same kind of spacing. It's just, it's just different and interesting, and I really kind of dig it. Wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Rocket Mike, how about you? You dig it? I do. I like this song a lot. It's my favorite lyrics on the album. Um, they kind of stay with the darkness that they set up on Badlands. So 
F sharp nine, as we've talked about, is a guitar chord. But I was Googling, as we all were, trying to figure out what the hell it had, it tied. F nine is also an American fighter plane known as the Cougar. Ooh. Ah. Oh. So I didn't know, given the lyrics, there's a plane called the Cougar. Is he going after an older woman? Mm. So that's kind of my conspiracy theory uh, on that. Ah. So don't know for I sure. I guess this is Templeton. I would love some cookies. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that, that. Aaron and I, we've talked, so I'm not going to give away one line. But uh, I'm selling Pleasure by the Pound is a great one. Kind of more of a... This is going to sound so stupid, but I have no other way of saying it. I say stupid things all the time. I'm More sure of nothing. a groovy delivery by Mark. I don't know. It's I, I can't really groovy. do that. Um, but then it's like there's a complete fucking drum solo under the guitar solo. Like the solo takes off, and then all of a sudden it's just like... And I'm like, whoa, why don't you take a break, let the other guy in. Um, but I do like the song, so it wasn't a bad way to end. All right. Shannon, what do you think? I also like this song. I thought it was a decent way to end as well. Um, it, again, it, it, it's, it's got the Van Halen bit of a vibe in there, but at least it veers away a, a bit of it. Um, the, th- the part that kind of cracks me up again about the end of this song is that it kind of reminded me of Joe Elliott. <laughs> it doesn't it kind of end like, wow, like, you know, like <laughs> type thing. Like he kind of like giggles or something at the end. You know how like Joe Elliott used to do that yeah. in Death Yeah. That's, no, yeah. You mean at the end when he's yeah. kind of like at the very end, yeah. 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 So I was like, kind of, yeah. Well, you know, so in my mind, I'm like, I'm kind of deflated at this point because I, I do like, I do like the Bullet Boys, but they're not to my 45 year old ear what they were when I was 16. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh god, now there's Def Leppard in the mix. What the hell? This is going on in my head, you know. But um, overall, I do give them some credit. I thought it was a great way to end. It starts well and it ends well. All right, Ray. All right, I'm going to fanboy out here. This, for me, is one of the greatest 80s glam metal songs ever, fucking period, in my mind. Ooh-hoo. I think it holds its own to a lot of fucking shit that was out there. I think it holds its own as, like, Lay It Down with Rat. I think it holds its own with um, Red Hot by Motley Crue. It just, I'm, I'm just fucking obsessed with this song. This is, like, one of the songs I would, like, l- play over and over and over again. So, um... Yeah, I fucking love it. I love the intro riff, or the basically the verse section riff. It's really awesome. Torian goes into full Roth mode once again. He starts off quoting the Rolling Stones and one of my favorite Rolling Stones songs, The Spider and the Fly. Uh, so I figured that's a great way to start things off. You also got like a really cool little arpeggiated figure bridging the pre-chorus and the chorus that's always really kind of grabbed my ear. And let's face it, that chorus is fucking super catchy and killer as well. What I like is the way Mick Sweeta kind of answers Torian in the chorus section with the octaves and the bends that are rear, near, near, and they're there. <laughs> the fuck he's doing? But that I always thought it was a nice touch as well. The solo is cool, but it takes a weird turn. Like you mentioned the drum solo. It's almost like some dude walking around trying to sound really cool like down a staircase and then he like loses a foot and then he fucking trips. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no, man, I'm really, lady, I'm fucking, I'll smooth right up in you. You have no idea what you're in for. It's fucking weird, and I think anybody who knows me as long as they've, as anybody who's listening, I dig weird. So that's okay in my book. And I even fucking love the ending. It ends on a chord that, like, wants to resolve up a whole step to the tonic, but it doesn't. It just sits there, and it rings out while fucking Torino. Joe Elliott shows up. And Joe Elliott shows up. <laughs> but, uh, I just, it fucking fades out in a really kind of menacing way, and. Yeah, man, this song is the shit. Mm. The shit. The hell if I love shit. 
Yeah, these, these riffs are sleazy and nasty, and the band works up a dark groove with my favorite chorus on the entire record. Do you want it sleazy? I can make it easy. Love that vocal melody. The vocal melodies in general on this song are a standout. Mark's voice goes from low and enticing his victim to full-on sleazy sales pitch mode. My interpretation of the lyrics is a sexual encounter negotiated through the Prince of Darkness himself, Mephistopheles. He's even mentioned in it. But I do concede I could be way off base. I don't know, and I don't care. The solo is interesting. There's a tiny bit of shredding and some odd note choices that sort of clash with the music, but it still perfectly suits it to my ears. This is a strong track to end the album with, and it goes out on a Mark Torian high note. Now that the track by track is done, we'll go through our final thoughts and album ratings. For you new listeners, the rating is a 0 to 5 system, with 5 being a favorite album of ours, all the way down to a 0, which is just vile. <laughs> Seamus, what are your final thoughts on Bullet Boys? My final thought is that we have talked about this album long enough to have played it four times. <laughs> 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 what does it clock in at? Like thirty-five minutes? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm taking shits that last as long. <laughs> and I draw that comparison for a reason. Look, for justice for all, long, long cold winter, Operation Mind Cry, Vivid, Skyscraper. Oh, you ate one too? Open up and say ah. New Jersey, no rest for the wicked, GNR lies, ram it down. Plus, albums by Winger, Vinnie Vincent Invasion, Saxon, Slayer, Soundgarden, Fraley's Comet, Loudness, Rat, Riot, Quiet Riot, Kingdom Come, Crocus, L.A. Guns, Armored Saint, ACDC, Iron Maiden, and Jane's Addiction, all in 1988. So I gotta be honest, Bull Boys... They were not on my radar back then. Now that I've listened to them some 30-some years later, I will say they are an average band. They're good players, okay songs. There was not a guitar god. There wasn't the hooks. There wasn't great lyrics. There was nothing at all to me. I give this a 2.5 out of 5. That's pretty generous, actually. I thought for sure you were going to take it even lower. <laughs> <laughs> Rock and Mike, what do you say? So I love all the bands you just mentioned. When I go back in, sometimes I grab albums. I actually have this on CD. It's in my Jeep right now. <laughs> um, if I go back to something from that time period and specifically glam, anything that fell in that glam metal grouping, I actually will listen to this fairly regularly. So for me, I actually give it a four. I really like it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's the band that caused me to sell all my winger. <laughs> Shannon, how about you? Did they make you sell your winger? They didn't make me sell my winger, and I still do like winger, even though I get that Kip gets so much crap. I mean, he's a ballerina app. You know, come on. The guy is totally well-trained. Anyway, the point being is I like all those bands that Seamus mentioned as well. I did like Bullet Boys very much when I was younger. In fact, like I said, I, I feel a little disappointed in my adult year because I'm slightly deflated because I can think of other bands that I think in, in, you know, in this genre that I are better than these guys, but they're solid and they would have been so much better had they just not listened to Ted. But when Ted's throwing you a million dollars in your face and saying, hey, listen, I'm looking for Van Halen, you're going to do what the hell he says, period. And it still managed to sell quite a few albums. And I, I give them a lot of credit for that. I did enjoy listening to it again. 
it's so funny that Aaron remembers more of the concert that he did not attend that I did. I, I really enjoyed doing this. I'd give it a three today. Probably back in the day, I would have given it like probably a five or something. But my 45-year-old ear says it's a three, and it's, it's still good. All right, Ray. Well, you know what? I kind of like thought that this band, because at the time I was not a super huge fan of Sammy Hagar. I did like a 5150 and a couple of tracks on OU812, but by and large, like I always wanted Diamond David Lee Roth back in the driver's seat of Van mm-hmm. Halen. So I thought this was, you know, the, the, the great hope that, okay, well, maybe we'll get something back to that kind of style of things. And I mean, really, the Van Halen comparisons you can hear because of Templeman and like a lot of the Torianism slash raw things that he rips off even down like if you look at the album the inside kitschy art that's something that van halen would have done you know like the fucking little pipe pay- little smokes. cartoony thing yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. that's, yeah. that's like the picasso brothers could have done this <laughs> um but uh you know what all that shit aside they were a solid band there there wasn't like there was a there was a sound that could have like veered away from van halen and they just didn't make a lot of those choices but they're they're solid musicians and uh, it was a fun album. I'm not going to say that. It's not one that, you know, it's going to have to be on my Desert Island disc, but I'm going to give it a four. Um, and this I got to say, I have this whole concept that I came up with probably about 20 years ago that if I ever win Mega Bucks or Lotto, it's a business model I came up with. And this is awesome because it's going to be things that really were important to me in my bachelor days uh, clean laundry, strippers, and beer. So what I was going to do is create this business model. It was going to be a high-end bar in one part, a strip joint in another, and then it was going to be a laundromat, and it was going to be called Dirty Rays. And the, but the best part of Dirty Rays is it, you can have like a cartoon version of my face, which basically looks like a bald Glenn Quagmire. Um, the best part is the, the byline that sells it. Dirty Rays, a place where you can drink some suds, clean your duds, and pull your puds. <laughs> and so one of these days when I win the, that money and I open up Dirty Rays, there's going to be a Bullet Boys night. And there are going to be dancers dancing at F number nine, F sharp nine, at least on the hour for the entire time that we are open on Tuesday nights. I'll go with Tuesday. So Tuesday night's Bullet Boys night at Dirty Rays. And there's no cover before 5 o'clock. And we have Just a lot of great beers on tap. Just take my money. <laughs> I'm still trying to picture him with his chin as wide as Quagmire's. I, I just, your chin's that big? <laughs> oh, it is. It is. It's like Jay Leno looks at it and goes, Jesus, man, I have no chin compared to you. Let's get the, let's get the Kickstarter going. All right. Dirty Rays Listeners, is happening. <laughs> do you want to see Dirty Rays? <laughs> Why are your clothes so clean? I went to Dirty Rays. Why are you smiling all the time? Don't worry. I went to Dirty Rays. <laughs> Where'd the glitter come from? I went to Dirty Rays. <laughs> is, is there a buffet at Dirty Rays? I think we'd incorporate that in there. <laughs> Seafood cocktail. Sushi. <laughs> I wonder how much, how much it would take to pay the stripper to do your laundry at Dirty Rays. Oh, that's wrong, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. You don't have to take your clothes off. Just watch my clothes. <laughs> don't bend over there. Don't, don't bend over. Don't. Oh. Oh, Stand in the basket with the pole. <laughs> <laughs> Every Friday is dry cleaning Friday. <laughs> Get those stains out or put some stains in. That's all up to you. 
Is, can, can I pay extra for the kissing kitty? <laughs> I just hang out the bar and do that every couple of minutes. I go, rear, rear. That's the noise the when yeah. somebody walks in. Yeah. That's the noise it plays. So instead of the ding, rear, rear. Bullet Boys came together in 1986 in Los Angeles, California, with Mark Torian, Mick Sweeta, and Lonnie Vincent all having left the Carmine Apiece-led hard rock group King Cobra and deciding to form a new band together. They completed the lineup with teenage drummer Jimmy DeAnda and developed a hard-rocking sound strongly influenced by bands like ACDC and Van Halen, while Mark Torian drew comparisons to David Lee Roth with his looks and exuberant stage presence. Bullet Boys quickly got signed to Warner Brothers Records and were teamed with classic Van Halen producer Ted Templeman for their debut album, which went gold after it was released. The videos from the album got quite a bit of MTV exposure, and the band was thrown in with the 80s Los Angeles glam metal scene, which pretty much suited their sound and style, but its popularity by that point had already peaked. The band changed lineups over the years, broke up and reformed, and continued to put out records with Mark Torian as the only constant member, but nothing they ever did came close to matching the success of the first album. I love this record. It rocks hard, is brimming with attitude, and at 35 minutes long, it doesn't overstay its welcome, as Seamus pointed it out. For my money, this is one of the better albums to come out of that 80s Sunset Strip scene, and I give Bullet Boys a 4. And if you're ever in the mood for some basic, no-frills, in-your-face hard rock, well, aside from ACDC, then look no further than this record. Crank it up! And the kitty goes... (laughs) Now we'd like to thank our two brave guest co-pilots who took a bullet for this podcast. James Seamus Dillard and Rockin' Mike Cordes. Seamus, always a pleasure, man. Thank you guys so much. Oh, it's always fun. Definitely, man. Is there anything you want to plug or promote? Um, if you're into Irish music, check out my band online, uh, Discarded oh. Mischief. I will. That's so cool. That's really <laughs> cool. That's I, I checked that out. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Same here. What's that name again? Discarded Mischief. All right. I love the name. Thank you. It, it was a uh, auto-generated name. Every good name in the fucking world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is. It's a cool name. I love I like you guys' it. band name. How did you come up with it? <laughs> <laughs> Rockin' Mike, what can we say? You're the man. I just love being here, hanging out with you guys. This is great. <laughs> Excellent. And I got to redeem myself with him after that whole debacle of deicide. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> no hard feelings. <laughs> oh, good. I went home and listened to the album backwards and prayed for you. <laughs> <laughs> we got a Facebook recommendation. It comes to us from Steve Vargo, and it says, Really fun and informative show. Great stuff. Thanks for the recommendation, Steve. And to all the listeners, we'd love to see more Facebook recommendations and Apple podcast reviews. It helps us out and gets the show more noticed by potential new listeners. And as always, thanks to everyone who gives us a listen and rock on. And that's going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast at places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review of it. If you take the time to do that, we'll read your review right here on the show. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com and also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast, including the R4 Summit branch of the show. 
You can also recommend the show on Facebook if you prefer to do it that way. And yes, we'll read your Facebook recommendation on the podcast. We're also on Twitter at R4PodcastAaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. You want to come on the podcast and talk about an album with us? Let us know and we'll set it up. We're always looking for co-pilots to host a show with us, and we would also welcome any requests or suggestions for albums to cover. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described. We'd love to hear from you. So for the R4 Summit, I'm Aaron. I'm Shannon. And I'm Ray. See ya. Doesn't fit. You must have quit. <laughs> uh, so.